0: Turn around and take your Bibles. Just take your Bibles. I changed this up in the first service. I'm going to change it up again. Just hang with me upstairs. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that I will preach out of today. It's in John chapter 6. I'm going to preach to the praise and worship team. They seem to be with me this morning. John chapter 6, I am not going to read the entire narrative at this moment. I just want to read a few verses to establish our direction. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, it says When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. They set off across the lake one of the Gospels captures this story and says that Jesus told them to cross over to the other side to go across to the other side. Someone say across touch your neighbor and say we're going across by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them verse 18 a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough verse 19 when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus approaching and the uh, approaching the boat walking on the water and they were frightened the beginning of that verse when they had rowed when they had rowed when they rowed. they rowed they rowed they rowed look at your neighbor and say they rowed they rowed they rowed they rowed let me announce to you the subject matter for today's conversation row 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 your boat. (laughs) It's a little more than the nursery rhyme, but it'll make sense in a few minutes. Row, row, row your boat. I believe through the power of God's word today that he's going to do a work in our hearts. How many of you came today for God to reveal something in your heart? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture, a narrative of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we'll use as the microscope to fully understand what is happening in John chapter 6 in the life of Peter. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter as an older man writes about things that have happened in his life and he gives to us a design, a plan, a psychological, spiritual blueprint that we must follow if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Everybody say follow. 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 You see, I, I believe when Peter wrote this as an old man, he didn't fully understand the concept when he was a young man following Christ. But as an old man, after the seasons of life had their ups and downs, he fully understood what was happening and what it meant to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Have you ever heard the old statement that says, if I had only known then what I know now? That's where Peter's at in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read First Peter chapter 2 to you, so hold your finger there at John chapter 6. Remain standing. I, I want to read this to you. I'll have you seated in a few moments, but I want to see what God's going to do. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I read this passage of Scripture to you last week as the impetus for this series Follow. Today I want to read it again, highlight one other thing. It says in verse 19, Peter writes this as an older man. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 21, he's about to tell us what he wishes he had known then and what he does know now. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That you should follow in his steps, that you should follow, that you should follow at this moment in Peter's mind when he's writing this letter to the reader he's beginning to echo the words that Jesus spoke to him in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus saw Peter on the Sea of Galilee and he said boy drop those nets and come and follow me and I will make you, he didn't say I will give you he said I will make you into something, Peter is letting us know that in order to be made into what God wants you to be, you've got to follow him And it's going to take passionate obedience. It will not take passivity to discover the will of God. It will take activity to discover the will of God. And now Peter is saying, follow. From the moment that he was called in Matthew chapter 4 until the moment that he writes 1 Peter chapter 2, years later, he has followed. God has made him into something. When he started out in Matthew chapter 4, there was a making process that evolved in Peter's life until he could actually write 1 Peter chapter 2. He realized that he followed Jesus, the steps of Jesus. And now he's calling us to follow in those steps. This is the same Peter who many times... Sometimes I should say got it right, but many times got it wrong. He was rough around the edges This is the same Peter who was as close to Jesus as he could be at times But at other times was as far away from him This is the same Peter who was who was acclaimed if you will and applauded by Jesus But at other times was rebuked by Jesus. This is the same Peter who 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 called out to Christ and said I'll follow you but at the same time denied him more than anyone else And here is Peter, years later, saying, follow in the steps of Christ. I followed in the steps of Christ in order to discover God's will for my life. I followed him when it was good. I followed him when it was bad. I followed him when it was easy. I followed him when it was difficult. I followed him when it was comfortable, and I followed him when it was uncomfortable. Can I teach for a moment? What Peter is trying to tell us is that the mood that you are in when you make the decision to follow Christ may not be the mood that you find yourself in when you have to make the commitment to keep following Christ. Let me say that again. The mood that you find yourself in when you make a decision to follow Christ in Matthew chapter 4 may not be the mood that you find yourself in in John chapter 6 when you have to make the commitment to keep following Christ. You see, it's easy for us to follow Christ if things are good. You know, if Jesus comes in and he rescues us, if he delivers us from a problem, it's like, Jesus, I'm following you, I'm following, I'm following Jesus, it's good, it's all good if he's delivered you from a problem. It's easy to follow him, but what if Jesus calls you to follow him to a place that seems like it's a dead end, to a place that it seems like you're surrounded by opposition, the mood that you were in when you followed Him, when He delivered you is not the mood that you find yourself in at this present moment. Mm. Let me show you something else. Flip with me two chapters over to chapter 4 of 1 Peter. You've got to see this. Here is Peter writing this. He says, dear friends, verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be surprised by the trial that's in your life. How many of you are like, sometimes I'm like, "How that came out of left field. Where'd that come from? Peter is saying, don't act surprised. But he also says in the message translation, it says, don't think that God's not on the job. (laughs) Don't think that God has forgotten about you. And he says right here in the NIV, he says, this is to test a test. Understand, a test is not there to teach you something. A test is there to determine what you already know. Hello. Look what it says in verse 13. Verse 13, it says, but rejoice, everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. It does not say if His glory is revealed. It says when His glory is revealed. In fact, the message translation says that His glory is just around the corner. Good God. Go one more chapter over. Chapter 5, you got to see this. I'm going to pick this up. I'll pick it up again in verse 6 for the sake of time. Here's what Peter writes. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Somebody say, due time. He goes on to say, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you he says cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you here is this older fisherman who's been a fisherman for most of his life who's drawing an image in our minds of casting out a net cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you somebody needs to hear this the glory of the lord will be revealed in your life it is just around the corner he's on the job he hasn't forgotten you he knows the journey that he's placed you on Some of you need to realize that the power of God's resurrection is still at work. So keep on rowing. Keep on rowing even though you don't know how to get there. Keep on rowing even though you don't know when he's going to come through. Keep on rowing and stop focusing on your inability. And start focusing on his ability to supply during your inability. Come on. He said, Peter, you've got to row. You've got to row. You've got to row. You've got to row even though you don't know where you're going. You've got to row because I know where I'm sending you. You've got to row in your marriage, row in your finances, because the glory of the Lord will be revealed in your life. It's just around the corner. He is my Jehovah Jireh, my supplier. He is my way maker. He is my need meter. He is the God who causes streams to appear in the desert. So look at your neighbor and say, row your boat. Come on, row your boat. Good God Almighty. I feel my preach coming on. But you know what I have discovered is that in the flesh we want God to take us and place us in an environment that has no needs. God, place us where the needs are not present we want to live in this utopian society I don't want to live around the needs God can I tell you something that's not how God works God will allow needs in your life to test you to test you to see whether or not you're going to continue to follow him in spite of the needs if there were no needs there would be no opportunity for him to reveal his glory If there were no needs, you would not know what it tastes like to experience the fullness of his glory. That my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. If there were no needs, you would not need God. Somebody talk to me. But here is Peter. He's trying to show us the spiritual balance between the need and the supply. He's telling us that if we're following God for just the supply, then we're not following God for the right reason. If we're following God for just the supply, that means that we're following God, Richie, not for who he is, but what he can do. You see, the supply is there to fill the need God allows the need to be in our lives so that he can supply for the need but God is more concerned not about supplying for your need but whether or not you'll continue to follow him regardless of whether or not he supplies for your need oh Lord have mercy that's good preaching just 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 be seated I I, I just I'm going to get into this That's where the narrative goes in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, the narrative has two people groups. Two people who have a spiritual and psychological disposition to follow Christ. One group of people are following Christ because He is a supplier. The other group of people are following Christ regardless of the need in their lives. Let me take you to the narrative in John chapter 6. And read to you some of those verses. If you're at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, say, I'm there. I need you today to help me preach this. Verse 1 says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. They followed, they followed because they saw the signs. Verse 3 says, Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, don't read any further. He saw the great crowd. They were following him. This crowd of people were Following him. You remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 verse 34. He says if you're going to come after me Then you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow Me here is this group of people following you see we think they're following but we know that they are certainly at least hanging out around Jesus So look what Jesus says He said to Philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? verse six he asked this is only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do (laughs) doesn't it seem like a test always comes when there's a need A test is not there to teach you something a test is there to determine what you already know you see what happened here is Philip comes up to Jesus and says to Jesus you've been preaching for so long Jesus it's become late There's people here that need to go home. They need something to eat. And Jesus says to him, why don't you buy them something to eat? And Philip is like, dude, you've lost it. There's like 5,000 men here, plus all of their children, plus their wives. There's 20,000 people here. We can't feed. I can't afford to buy them food. There's not enough restaurants in the area. There's not enough kosher hot dogs in town. Some of you will get that later. can't we can't do that we cannot do it jesus have you lost your mind look at all this the sea of people it's impossible and about that time there was this little boy who had a knapsack on his back and, and inside of that knapsack there was this box that came from the fish and chips restaurant down the street there were five loaves of bread and two fish and he comes hopping along on his pogo stick jumping along and Jesus catches his eye and he sees the knapsack bouncing up and down off of his back and he sees on the side fish and chips restaurant he grabs the boy's knapsack and says boy you better sit down I'm about to show you a miracle it doesn't say that this is my translation I'm telling the story then he looks at the disciples and he says, I want you to tell all the people to sit down. They're about to eat. And the disciples see this little lunch box that has five loaves of bread in it and two fish. And they're like, Jesus has lost it. Oh, God, he's lost it. Then Jesus takes this lunchbox and he lifts it up to heaven and he says, God bless this. Then he asks the disciples to distribute the food amongst the people and give them all that they want to eat. Did you catch that? He asked the disciples to distribute the food. Now, this is a side note, but it is a worthy side note because the disciples represent the early church. Jesus used the disciples to distribute his supply. Therefore, God uses the church as the distribution system for his supply to meet the need of man. Are you with me? Good Lord have mercy that I preach. God uses the church as the distribution system for his supply in order to meet the need of man. And then Jesus said to the disciples, "Go and gather up what's left." And all the all of the disciples they go throughout this 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 area on this lakeside and they're gathering up the food and they come back and there's twelve baskets full of food that are left. But while they're going through all of the people meandering, they hear the people say, "Man, can you believe this? Jesus, he just fed us like we've never ate before." I don't. There's twenty thousand people. It all came out of that little box. How did he do it? It was so good. It was so it was fabulous, and it tasted. It was, I tasted the herbs of heaven. It was so good. It was just fat. It didn't even need any tartar sauce. God, you hear what I'm saying? It was good. We had more fish sandwiches than McDonald's can serve. It was good. Jesus, we're going to follow you. Jesus, you're awesome. We're going to follow you, follow you, follow you. Because you can cook better than Colonel Sanders. I'm talking about, it was good, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus withdrew himself from them and he went up on to the mountainside because they were planning to make him king by force. You need to understand that concept. Make him king by force because the entire area was occupied by Roman soldiers the Roman soldiers had oppressed the Jewish people in such a way that they were impoverished. They were hungry. They were broken. There was disease on every corner. There was sickness everywhere. And now they're seeing this Jesus take and feed the hungry and at the same time heal the sick. And so they're like, we're going to follow you, Jesus. We're going to follow you. Follow. I'm following Jesus. I'm following you. Because... Their desire to follow Christ was connected to their mood and their mood was connected to his willingness to supply. They were following Christ because he was supplying for them. So you know what Jesus said? He looked at the disciples and he said, I want you to leave and I want you to go across to Capernaum. Get in your boat and row to the other side row row and keep rowing can you imagine all of the disciples going down carrying you know all the stuff and and they go down and they get into the boat and all of a sudden they begin to row to capernaum and then there's this conversation that begins to happen and probably peter was the captain of the boat so he begins to navigate he says did y'all see that This dude Jesus is incredible. He preaches, he teaches, he heals, he feeds, he serves. Guys, this is incredible. I'm talking about he fed 20,000 people with a boxed lunch. I wonder if he can do that with filet mignon. So Peter was like, "Guys, y'all are missing this. You have no clue the benefits package is out of this world. We will never have to buy a meal again. Anytime we're hungry, he's going to feed us. Probably about that time. Well, Andrew was saying, well, hold on a second, Peter. I mean, you know, we're following Christ. We want to follow Christ, but he's telling us to go to Capernaum. Capernaum was this lakeside community that was on the other side of the lake. It was the place that Jesus set up as his base of operation. It was this place that was also known as immoral and impoverished and the place full of needs. And Andrew's like, listen, if we're following Jesus, why are we going to Capernaum? Why are we going there? He went up on the hillside. Why don't we follow him up on the hillside. Why don't we go up there so that we can sit at his feet, listen to him preaching? When we get hungry, we'll say, We're hungry. Why is he sending us out to Capernaum where the need is at, where the work is at? Why don't we follow him to where it's easy? And about that time, one of the other disciples in the boat said, well, hold on a second. Didn't, 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 didn't he say to several of us, if we're going to come after him, then, then we must deny ourselves and, and we must take up our cross and follow him. And Andrew was like, yeah, he said that, man. But did you just see what he did? He just fed 20,000 people. It's a win. He's like, whoa, Jesus, this is awesome. Then, verse 18 happens. Verse 18 says that when they were rowing across the Sea of Galilee that a strong wind came up, because the Sea of Galilee sits down in a bowl, so the wind came off of the mountains, came down, and blew up this incredible storm, and the seas became violent, and the winds were overwhelming and the and the boat began to be swamped and wind that was wind huh. the wind began to make all of this noise the waves were crashing into the boat and the conversation went from victory to oh what's happening doesn't it seem like strong winds, W-I-N-D-S follow. Strong winds, W-I-N-S. Doesn't it seem like we can come to church and feel victorious and hear a message and we're like, Oh, that's for me. I, I am victorious. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a winner if God is for me. Tell me who can be against me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. Come on, somebody, and give him praise. and we come
1: into church because we're winning. Supply seems to be obvious. It's, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. But then, on Monday, you go to work, and it's, your kids
0: Your finances The wind is blowing And the song becomes
1: I need thee Oh, I need thee job You're supposed to give me I need thee. Oh, I need some money and some honey in my relationships. Every hour, I need some more good stuff. And all of
0: a sudden, the conversation about the supply of God moves to the need in your life the conversation you were having about God turns to a conversation about your need. In other words, God takes a back seat to your situation.
1: It was, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. But now it's, I need a new job. I hate my boss. And a pay raise at the new job certainly wouldn't be a loss. So the conversation that we were having
0: about the beauty of God now turns into the need. The conversation about the wind turns into, when is God going to show up? I'm following him. Why did he tell me to follow him? Where's he at? I'm following him, and he sent me across the sea, and I can't even make it. Why did he tell us to follow him into a storm? Why did he tell us to follow him but he's not even here. Where's he where's Jesus at anyway in this mess? And the wind and the waves represents the anxiety that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. The wind and the waves represents the anxiety that's in his life and, and the anxiety that's in the lives of the disciples. And all of a sudden, it's like Peter's like, Okay, well, we've rowed halfway across. It's only seven miles across. You should be able to cross this lake, if you will, in, in less than two hours. And we've been rowing for three and a half to four hours, and we're not even halfway. What's the point? And Jesus is not even here. He told us to follow him. And, and that dude went up on the hillside somewhere. What's the point? And Peter's like, I, this is, it's not even worth it. But then all of a sudden I begin to realize the backdrop of 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 when he says to cast all of your anxiety upon him. Because what he's saying is there is no situation of anxiety in your life that is greater than his ability to care for you. Oh, hold on a second! I, I begin to understand that the backdrop, the essence of the backdrop of what Peter is writing in First Peter chapter five, verse seven, he's basically saying to us that this is the story of my life. There've been highs, there's been lows, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been times that my faith was on top of the world, and there's been other times that the world was on top of me. There's been times that I could cry out and know that God would answer my prayer, but there's also been times that I've had such little faith that I had to say, "Jesus, prove to me that it's you." There's been times that. That I felt like I could take on the world and there's been other times that I feel like the world is taking me on There's been times that i've had so much money. I've got taxes to pay There's been other times that I had so little money I couldn't pay my light bill There's been times that i've been so surrounded by friends that I thought this is incredible And there's been other times that i've been right in the middle of the need and I couldn't find a person to talk to But then I realized as i'm writing this letter to you I realized that the backdrop of my frustration and my situation pales in comparison to his ability to take care of me therefore i know i've been down i've been out i've been broken i've been busted i've been on the sea in the middle of the night thinking i was gonna die i didn't know how i was gonna get there but one thing that i know is that god's ability to care for me is greater than my anxiety so come on somebody get up on your feet and give him praise in this place because psalms chapter 55 says Cast all of your cares upon him because he will sustain you. Good God Almighty, somebody praise him. Give him some crazy praise in this place. You see, I think Peter learned two things in John chapter 6 that he's writing about in First Peter chapter 5. I think that number one, he learned that God will use our frustrations in life as an education. He'll use our frustration as an education to show us his goodness. But Number two, I believe that Peter learned that you cannot allow the state of your happenings to control the state of your mind. You cannot allow what is happening in your life to dominate your spirit. This is the faith question. Are you living your life based upon your need or are you living your life based upon his ability to take care of you in your need? Oh, Lord have mercy. Let me take you back to the narrative. Here's the disciples. They're rowing, they're rowing. They're rowing, they're they're rowing. They're rowing. When they get into the boat, they've got so much energy, so much enthusiasm. Woo! Did you see what God did? Did you see how Jesus lifted that box up? And God, the Heavenly Father, supplied for 20,000 people. And now,
1: where's Jesus?
0: Where is he? The mood that they were in when they got into the boat when they decided to follow Christ, is not the mood that they find themselves in when they're halfway across. Mm. And then the Holy Spirit dropped this in my lap. We have enough faith to follow God, but sometimes we have too little faith to complete the journey. Mm. Let me say that again. We've got enough faith to follow God. But we have too little faith to complete the journey. Because this is the first time that the Holy Spirit's ever dropped this in my spirit. Think about this. Here they are on the shores of the Sea of Galilee gathering up twelve baskets full of food that's left over. Twelve baskets full of food that is left over And, and they gather all of that up. They get into the boat. This is the first time the Holy Spirit ever dropped this in my lap. Where do you think all of that leftover food was at? Where were those 12 baskets? They didn't leave them on the shore. They were going to the need. They were in the boat. Therefore, they're surrounded by... The supply, the leftover supply from the last miracle that God has just done, the last miracle that Christ has just performed, the leftover supply is all around them, but they're overwhelmed by what's before them. Mm. Verse 19, verse 19, you've got to see this. Verse 19 says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. They were frightened. When they had rowed, when they had rowed, when they had rowed, when they rowed, when they rowed, rowed, row, row, row your boat. When they rowed, hold on a second, look at your neighbor and say, they rowed. There is something that happens When a group of people gather around a common purpose, there is something that happens. It moves the heart of God. When a group of people gather around a common purpose and they row, does that that not sound like the theme for our year? We are church. Church is not something that we do. It's who we are. Church is not a place that we go. It's a lifestyle. Church is not what we do in here. It's what we accomplish for God out there. So we row together for Hop in the Park. We row together for... the needs of those who are lost. We row together for ways to love faithful. We row together for marriages that need to be restored. Come on and help me row. Where are my rowers? We row together for those hundreds of people who need to be saved by this body this year. We row together for hundreds who need to be baptized. We row together for the homeless who need to be fed. We row together for foster care children who need to feel the love of Christ. Are you going to get up on your feet? What you need to understand is that when you row, the enemy will try to stop you from rowing. He will try to defeat you, discourage you, diminish you, depress you. But what you need to understand is that God will use the strategies of the enemy to establish you. So keep rowing in your marriage, keep rowing in your finances, keep rowing on your career, keep rowing with your kids, keep rowing, look at your neighbor and say yeah. row, row, row your boats. And the rest of verse 19 says, And Jesus showed up. He is an ever present help in a time of need. <laughs> Can I finish? What you need to understand is that the enemy. Will rob your ability to row by using the circumstances in your life. Listen to me. The enemy will rob your ability to row by using the circumstances in your life. And if he robs your ability to row, he is a, he's robbed your ability to go <laughs> to the other side. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I need to get up in your business for a minute. I need to read your mail because some of you are using your circumstances as an excuse not to row. Well, I'm divorced. I need to just stop rowing. I'm broke. I need to stop rowing. I lost my job. There's no need in me rowing. I'm not going anywhere anyway. Anyway. My kids are driving me crazy. They're not living the life they're supposed to, so I'm going to just stop rowing. I thought I had all kinds of friends, but my friends let me down, so I'm going to stop rowing because there's no need for me to row. Can I tell you something? The Bible says if you're going to follow Christ, you've got to take up your cross. It does not say you will not have a cross to take up. It says you've got to take up your cross in order to get across. Are you hearing me? Come on, somebody. If you want to cross over to the other side, you've got to take
1: up your cross.
0: You're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. What I'm trying to say to you is sometimes God will feed you on the shore, and other times he'll tell you to row your boat across to the other side. Mm. You're not hearing me. Sometimes you may only have a little faith, but it's when you have a little faith that God does a lot of miraculous. Mm. Hold on a second. You see, I don't think you're hearing this. I don't think you're catching this because it took me a while to catch it. Sometimes God will feed you on the shore and then give you enough sustenance to sustain you to get across to the other side. Hold on. Sometimes God will supply for your need in the midst of the storm, but other times he'll tell you to go across to the other side so that you can be someone's supply. Are you with me? He'll supply for you so that you can supply for others. Come on, somebody. Give Him praise up in this place. Row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. I got to show you something else. I got to show you this. Can I finish reading a few verses. Verse 20 said, But he said to them, It is I, (laughs) the great I am. So don't be afraid. Verse 21, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. I, 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 I I don't know about you, but I love that immediately stuff. And I would certainly have loved to have been in that boat to find out how that happened. But there's something else beyond that. It says the next day, the crowd, you remember that crowd that he fed, that 20,000 people? Well, watch this. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. You see, they slept all night. Jesus put some of that NyQuil nighttime stuff in that fish. And they woke up the next morning and they couldn't find Jesus. So look what happens. Then some of the boats from Tiberius landed near the place where the people had eaten. The bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. It sounds good. They're following. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when when did you get here? And Jesus answered in verse 26. He said, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Sounds beautiful. But then he says, but not because you saw the signs I performed, but rather because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're looking for me only because you know that I can supply for you. You're looking for me just to fill up your belly. You're looking for me just to supply for you. In other words, you're not looking for me because of who I am. You're looking for me because of what I can do. You're not worshipping me because I am the Messiah, the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh. You're looking for me because I put some food in your belly and the next time you turn around the corner and I'm not there and you don't see me and the pain in your stomach becomes so great you'll stop following me and you'll follow someone else because you're only following me for the supply and you're not following me regardless of the need. Good Lord. So I have to ask this question. Which group are you? Are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of the needs?
1: Or do you only call out the name of Jesus when you need supply?